forever. Dog. Just between us. Hey. Just between us. Hey. Hello, I'm Allison Raskin. I'm a writer, mental health advocate, and I'm not engaged. <laughs> I'm Gabby Dodd. I'm a writer, bicon, bisexual icon, weak, and I am engaged. Woo! I can't believe that we're not in person for this one. I know. It's such a bummer. Devastating. I want to see that ring, baby. Look, look. Oh, it's so pretty. It's a Do you sapphire. Love it? Yeah, it's a sapphire. I wanted a dark stone. It's also so funny because Mal tricked me by being like, showed me a bunch of rings from their uh, grandma and was like, do you like any of these? Like a year ago. And I was like, um, this one and this one are nice. I love a dark stone. And then they were like, tricked. I tricked you. They made, they had me like secretly, they like were gauging my interest. Oh, wait. So you, you had basically selected that ring from the ones they showed you? Yeah, but I didn't know that's what I was doing. They were just like, do do you like any of these? And I was like, oh, I like this one and this one. And then they just filed it away. Love it. Love that for you. We're going to talk to them about the whole thing during topics. But one of the one of the things that like during the engagement that made me like start crying was the grandmother whose ring it is. She's passed away. And they said that they asked their grandfather, like who's 94, who I actually get along with really well like asked him, like, is it okay if I use Grandma Terry's ring to propose to Gabby? And I was like, this has made me lose it. Was he excited that Mal was doing that? Mm -hmm. Oh, And I was like, oh, my God. And then I just kept being like, Marty knows. (laughs) (laughs) Who cares? But yeah. This is just between us, a variety show filled with heartfelt advice. Ridiculous games. And brutal honesty. <laughs> we have got a great episode for everyone. As we mentioned later, Mal will be joining us for topics to dive into the engagement story. Give us all the tea there. And later, we're going to be asking Nona willis Aronowitz some tough questions about her book, Bad Sex. And also, both Allison and I love her. But first, we have got to answer a listener's question. And you know what that means. Hit it! International question! International question! International question! Anna, Rio, Brazil. A true international if I've ever seen one. (laughs) As they mentioned, here we go. (laughs) Hey, Allison and Gabby. Real international question here from Rio, Brazil. I've been watching you guys on YouTube for years now. I wanted to say I really appreciate you both. If I'm feeling down, watching your videos always makes me laugh and gives me perspective. I started watching as a wee 16-year-old, realizing my pansexuality, but also relating so much to Allison's personality, and now I'm graduating from university. Hey! However, it's been incredibly difficult for me. I studied film and television, and I've realized through the last few years that in this sort of industry, it's really important to make connections if you want a job. However, I'm not a cool person. I have social anxiety and just generally am an introvert and haven't made many friends. The pandemic hasn't helped either. Now I'm about to graduate, can't seem to find even an internship, have no career prospects, and feel incredibly anxious and stupid, wondering if I chose the wrong area of study, even though I love it. 
I don't feel like I have talent and feel like I don't belong with these cool, outgoing, extroverted, creative people. I was wondering if you guys have any advice for people in my situation and wanted to know if getting out of college into the real world was as much of a nightmare for you as it has been for me. Looking back, what do you think you did right and what would you have done differently? This might be a lot and I get if it's not right for the show. Thanks so much anyway. I love you guys. Bye. You think that something that's a lot is not right for this show? (laughs) (laughs) What was your experience, Allison? I was really lucky in that I was able to do an internship right after I graduated because my parents were helping me out financially. So that already makes it so that my experience is probably not super helpful or relatable to a lot of people. But I was I I interviewed for this assistant job. Oh, no, actually, I took this really weird job right out of college with a guy who ended up being in the Swedish mafia. Um, the, the band? Yeah. No, no, the mafia. <laughs> What? Say more about that. Can you? Yes. So I took this job that was like with this like startup company that was like, I think the concept was that like you would like pitch your idea online and then if people liked it, then they would help you fund it, which is like very similar to to ideas that actually like became popular, like, you know, GoFundMe or whatever, Kickstarter. But it was like a very like small weird company and then when I was there I googled the guy's name which I obviously should have done before that and found out that like his yacht had been stormed and they'd found all this all this weapons and he like had clear ties to the Swedish mafia was he Swedish yeah oh my god (laughs) and so what did you do after that I quit not that long after. It was also just like not a good job. And my mom and sister had to sit me down and be like, don't do this. And then I I interviewed for this assistant position. I didn't get it. I took this unpaid internship, which is again where my financial privilege came in and then I was able to do that. And then I think that the person that assistant job I had interviewed for didn't work out. The guy like got fired within like a week or left within a week or two. And so I was the second choice. And so then I got hired as an assistant at a management company, which is what I did for a year. Wow. So wild stuff. What did I do? Okay, so I left college and I... What I had been working at the Boston Globe uh, in their co-op program, which shout out to the Boston Globe. They paid really well, actually. I worked long hours, but my rent at the time was $500 and I made $1,000 a month. So I had $500 for my rent and then I had $500, which I'd never had in my life to like use. To me, I was like, I'm rich and uh, and I have money at the end of the month. And I'm like, you know, it was really it was really nice of them that they paid interns in that way, especially in like 2008, 2009, when people didn't. And then I came to New York and I had an internship and I slowly realized that everyone like I worked, I had an internship at The Daily Show and I slowly realized that everyone there, I went there thinking I would be a journalist and I realized that everyone there was a comedian. And I was like, oh, I've fundamentally misunderstood this entire show. And I also had to I ended up not being able to like stay on really much longer than the actual like internship because I didn't have any money and I was pawning everything I own and it was really bad. So in terms of like advice, it's hard because I I went so hard, like, right, like looking back, I would be like, 
you didn't have to work that hard. You made yourself sick. You never, you were like doing all this stuff that was so toxic and awful. And like you, you worked nonstop. You never slept. You, I was like, at one point, like I talk about this in the bad with money book that I wrote, but like at one point I need, I was like, I don't have any money and I'm out of clothes for this internship. And I just attempted to shoplift from an urban outfitters and I got caught. Like I was not doing well mentally. And, and so like, I think back on that and I'm like, oh my God, like, don't, this hustle culture is so toxic. Like, don't grind yourself down to the bone. Don't like sleep, you know, on your friend's random couch because you have nowhere to go, whatever. But at the same time, doing all of that is how I got here. So it's hard for me to be like, don't do that when, and like, it's bad when, and I know it's bad now, but am I saying it's bad from a position of I came out the other side with a career? You know what I mean? It's hard to say, don't do all of these really horrible things, horrible in the sense of like bad for your mental health and bad for your physical health and work, 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 work and never stop working when I've, I've, I have the things that I wanted mostly. Well, I think Anna is not so much talking about the hustle culture of it all, but more about the networking. Of that's it what all. I mean. And that was, but that's not sleeping on your friend's couch. That's more like having to create relationships in order to get jobs, which I think is not necessarily true of every industry no, in, in the way that TV, it is it true of this industry. What I'm talking about is staying out at shows or staying out at parties to network and meet people and make friends. I would be in bed in my pajamas and I would see on on Twitter that a comedian I wanted to meet was performing at 11 p.m. at a show like 45 minutes away and I'd put on clothes and go. Right. To, yeah. And I mean, I think we have very different relationships to networking where like you're very good at it and and have done a lot of it. And I is always not felt natural to me and it's not a strength of mine. And I, I hate feeling like relationships are transactional. I hate feeling like things are fake. Like I, I don't like talking to people I don't actually like, you know? Um, and so, you know, I guess what I would say about that is it can feel like the networking aspect is so misaligned with who you are. And then it is also somewhat separate from what you want to do. I know. But I think a way of maybe thinking about it is, it's one component of your job, right? And so if you feel like you are really creative and that you love making stuff and that you, you know, want to work in this field, it's almost like how other people like hate doing their expenses, mm -hmm, <laughs> like mm -hmm. just sort of seeing it as a part of this thing. And you don't need to naturally be good at it in order to learn how to do it. Mm -hmm. But then it's always the cost benefit, right? Like, there is the reality that like maybe the way that this industry is set up is not aligned with who you are and to try to do it anyway just causes such discomfort. Yeah. There's a lot of different ways to have a creative life. You know, like the thing that's really cool about like technology and the advancements of technology and social media is like you can always be mm -hmm. creating. You don't need to be working in a traditional TV or or film job in order to be making mm -hmm. content. So that's really what I would say is like, I would really focus on making stuff right now. And like, it's like a two prong approach of like, make a lot of stuff, do stuff that you care about, flex those muscles. And two, try the networking, 
but don't go into it thinking I have to like this or that it has to feel natural to me. Instead, view it as this thing that is like annoying, but a part of it. And then right out of college, like so few people get jobs in their chosen industry right out of college. Like you just never know what's going to happen. A lot of times you have to just keep grinding, keep seeing, you know, what happens. And I think we have this sense that if something doesn't happen immediately, then we're not Mm -hmm. a good fit. But as I say to myself all the time when I'm having a spiral, this industry and really very few industries are actually a merit. They're not meritocracies. It is not like, oh, I'm the best and therefore I will have a good career. That almost doesn't matter at all. It's not about your talent. It's not about how much you can deliver. There's such a luck Mm -hmm. component to it. So if you haven't had that luck hit you yet, it doesn't matter how good you are. So seeing like these rejections, not so much as proof that you're not good at what you want to do, but instead proof that this isn't Mm -hmm. a meritocracy and that sometimes it's just throwing so many things at the wall so that you can get lucky with one of them. Yeah, I was going to say two things. One, you saying you don't feel like you're talented. That's imposter syndrome. Like all these people that you're viewing as so talented and creative and extroverted, like maybe they are, but also a lot of people are full of shit. And like a lot of this industry is like built on lies. And like people will post things or like make things seem like there's, I mean, I do it, make things make things seem like they're more important or bigger than they are. And like, it's just not, it's just like comparison politics and it's, you're, it's full of shit. You, it's not real. It's, it's almost designed to make other people feel bad in some way or to like present a, a pretty picture that is just like, conveniently leaves out all of the insecurity and rejection and and hardship. Two, I would say like making stuff on your own, some of that stuff like hits and these people don't, I, it's luck meeting preparedness. So like a lot of times I'll see people who like make something and it, and it does really, and it, it hits, but then they don't have, they haven't been working on like having their scripts or having their shorts or having, you know, their, their things ready for when that happens and they're completely overwhelmed. So it is luck, but it's also being prepared and having the things ready for when something happens or if something happens, being prepared when luck comes. And like, if you love to create and you love, you said you love it, then like, just be doing that. And then almost like, it's hard to say this, but almost like believing that you have talent is irrelevant. (laughs) Like, you you are seeing the highlight reel of these people. You are seeing them at their most extroverted, at their most whatever. And if you don't want to engage with those people, sometimes I go to an industry event and I feel great. Sometimes I go to an industry event and I'm like, everyone is garbage. I don't know how to explain it, but like a lot of it is just like keeping your head down and doing your work and like going out and meeting people. And, and if you meet people feeling like, OK, so I met some people tonight that sucked. But you know what? Then sometimes like you go out and you're like, I met one person that I feel like really I like their work. And I really actually respect them. And then holding on to that person. And I've had a lot of luck, too, of meeting someone that I really respected their work and getting along with them and then meeting that person's friends and then meeting that person's collaborators. And then if I see something, not just random networking, but like if I see a short and I'm like, I really liked this short, reaching out to the person who made it. And then instead of just going to a party, being like, hey, specific person, I watched your film and I really enjoyed it. Can we talk? 
And I've had a lot of luck with that because it's targeted networking. It's specific. It's the people you respect. I think we also have this idea that like creativity and creative talent is a fixed thing. Absolutely not. That either you have it or you don't. But it's like anything else. Like it's a muscle that you can build up. Like, yeah, I think some people have a predisposition for it, but where they start isn't where they end. And so if there are parts of you that you're like, oh, I... I'm not as good at dialogue or I don't quite understand cinematography as well as I think that I should. Like, those are things that you can Mm -hmm. learn. So where you start right out of college is not like the end of your creative journey. Mm -hmm. Um, So cutting yourself some slack and saying like, okay, like, oh, I've made something I didn't like that much. But what did I learn from that thing I didn't like that much? What am I going to do differently next time? Mm Yeah, totally. And reach out to people in terms of networking, like reach out to people that you're like, you know what, this person really does understand cinematography. Or I really like the way this person writes dialogue. People love to be flattered. Yeah, that's a great networking tip It's just kiss people's asses. And I know it can seem gross and weird, but whatever. It's like you're doing a nice thing because you're making their day. <laughs> uh, exactly. Well, hopefully that was helpful. If you want to submit your international question, you can send it to justbetweenuspod at gmail.com. That's justbetweenuspod at gmail.com. Up next, we've got an exciting interview with our highly esteemed guest, Nona Willis-Aronowitz. Stay tuned. Hi, everyone. Allison here. Anyone who knows me well knows that I love to read. I am always looking for new books, and that is why I am so excited that this episode is sponsored by Book of the Month. Book of the Month's mission is to help readers discover new books they love and to promote the work of emerging authors. It was so fun for me to get to pick which book I wanted to read this month and have it shipped right to my door. Book of the Month makes it easy to decide which book to read next. Each month, the editorial team reads through hundreds of new titles. They pick some of the best new books for you to choose from. All the books are good, so you can't go wrong. Every aspect of the Book of the Month experience is designed to be fun and special for readers. They have a highly anticipated release at the beginning of each month. Books are delivered in this really adorable bright blue box, and there's a fun app to help you pick your book and track your reading process. They also offer great values on new release hardcover fiction. It's much cheaper than other options, shipping is always free, and with a loyalty program, you get rewards and even lower prices the longer you stay as a member. My first book from Book of the Month was The Husbands by Holly Gramazio. I am tearing through this book. It is so fun. It's basically about this woman who one day comes home and there's a husband in her apartment and she's like, where did you come from? And then she figures out that every time her new husband goes into the attic, a new husband comes out and she's she's like shuffling through all these different husbands from the attic trying to figure out which one is the best. It is right up my alley and I love it so much. So if you want to take part in Book of the Month and have a brand new book shipped right to your door every single month, go to bookofthemonth.com and get your first book for $5 with code PEDALS. That's $5 off with code PEDALS. I cannot recommend this enough. With Mother's Day around the corner, are you thinking about a truly special gift for your mom? Let me tell you all about mylifeinabook.com. It's a unique service that turns your mom's life stories into a beautiful book. Pretty cool, right? Here's how it works. Every week, mylifeinabook.com will send her a question via email. These can be pre-written questions about her life or any custom questions you wish to ask. And then she can either type her response or use their voice to text feature. And mylifeinabook.com compiles all her responses into a beautiful keepsake book. 
And guess what? They can even create an audiobook using her voice recordings. It's like preserving her voice and her stories for eternity. Imagine discovering stories about her youth, adventures, and the challenges she overcame. This book becomes a legacy, something you and future generations can treasure forever. Your mom's given you a lifetime of stories. This is your chance to give her a way to share them. Right before I found out about this project, my mom made an offhand comment about wanting to write a memoir because she had such a wild childhood and there are all these things she's never really talked to us about. But asking someone to sit down and write a memoir is kind of daunting. So then I got her mylifeinabook.com and now she's getting prompts to answer on a weekly basis and it's a lot easier than just undertaking an entire memoir. I'm so excited to see what my mom does with mylifeinabook.com because she's someone who doesn't always feel comfortable just sharing about herself but having these prompts and knowing that I really want to hear her answers is going to inspire her to probably share more with me about her life and her upbringing than I've ever been shared with before so I'm so excited for that check out mylifeinabook.com and use code just between us at checkout for 10% off create an unforgettable gift for your mom this mother's day that's mylifeinabook.com use code just between us for 10% off today just between us it's time for the juiciest most scandalous controversial segment known to all of podcasting tough questions this week on the show our guest is nona willis aronowitz who is a writer editor and author her book bad sex is a memoir social history blend that examines the enduring barriers to true sexual freedom nona has a bi-weekly sex and love advice column for teen vogue and has written for publications like the new york times the cut l vice and playboy nona currently splits her time between nyc and tannersville new york and also is um a friend of the pod <laughs> a friend of us. We know we know or we love or we're excited yeah, for today. An icon, <laughs> a legend. The best editor I've ever had, truly. Oh my God. Thank you. <laughs> Actually, you know, Gabby, you're sort of anonymously quoted on my website, on my editor tab as saying that you hated all other editors. You loved me, but you hated all other editors. And that's uh, that's true. And I'll say that. To, I'll, I think they could sense it. All the other editors knew how I felt. It's a bit misanthropic, but I will take it. <laughs> yeah, you're the best one. I, by a mile. I'll stand by that right now. <laughs> so we would love to dive into like what you uncovered during the research of this book, because I imagine some things were expected, but like what was some of like the most unexpected takeaways you had? Sure. Well, my research was kind of twofold. One was historical research. I was looking into archives. I was looking into history books. It was actually deep COVID at the time. So it was not as archivey as I wanted it to be, but I had professors emailing me drafts of essays and all kinds of things that I wouldn't have been able to find. It was a kind of a fun process. So that was one element of it. But then the other element was really delving into my mother's history and personal life. And that entailed, and also to a smaller extent, my father's history and personal life. And that was interviewing her ex-boyfriends and my dad's ex-wife, which was super interesting, talking to um, her friends and actually visiting her archives and reading a bunch of her diary entries. And as you can imagine, one of the, one process was sort of more emotional than the other, but both actually had surprises. I mean, I 
had no idea about how vulnerable and emotional my mother was. I think she had this kind of performed vulnerability in her work. She was an early pro-sex feminist. And part of what she did was call from her personal life and put it in context of what was going on politically. But she did kind of keep herself at, at a remove, at least compared to her, her very, very intensely emotional journal entries. And so that was something that took me aback. Just reading about her emotional turmoil. She was very private and kept kind of intense boundaries with me. And she died when I was 22. So I was really not an adult while she was alive. And that was something that was super surprising. But the historical process was surprising too. I mean, I discovered characters from history that I had no idea existed. And I, you know, if you look at my proposal, which is like, as you probably both know, they're just like, deeply bizarre documents that have little to do with what ends up happening on <laughs> in the book. But I had just totally different characters in there. I'll give you an example. Like I was assuming that for my marriage chapter about the history of marriage, I was going to use somebody like Virginia Woodhull, who was a very ardent proponent of free love in the 1800s. But I actually discovered a much lesser known free love feminist, Mary Gove Nichols, who had a much more ambivalent narrative and whose narrative really dovetailed with what I went through with my kind of ambiguous and ambivalent marriage. And then I went down the rabbit hole with Mary Gove Nichols and was like emailing scholars about her and really just learning a lot about the details of her life. And that was a wonderful surprise. And that kind of happened again and again. So there were a lot of surprises is what I'm trying to say. (laughs) Why did you title the book Bad Sex? Well, so there's the bad sex of my marriage, and that's sort of the the text. But then the subtext of bad sex is that there are a lot of things that contribute to messing up our intimate lives, both our sex lives and our romantic lives, which aren't necessarily the same thing. And so bad sex is a stand-in of all the obstacles and dilemmas that we especially women have to go through before we can discover our true desires. What was that like to write about, you know, your own marriage and your own experience with this? Oh, I mean, it's it I had just enough distance from it to do it, but I didn't have that much distance. I think <laughs> when I first started to conceive of this book, I'd only been broken up with my husband for 2 years, and that was I think not enough distance to know what that relationship really meant to me and what that breakup really meant to me. But by the time I was truly writing this book, it was, I guess, early 2020. And I think I did have some perspective on it. It'd been several years. I was in another relationship and I saw kind of the whole arc of me for a long, long time having doubts of this relationship and then finally biting the bullet and breaking it off and then going through a crazy tumultuous breakup, which I think really took like a full year to run its course. And then there was the payoff, which was, you know, not a happily ever after. There is no such thing. There is no walk off into the sunset moment in this book. But I think I am closer to my true desires by, by doing that. But it wasn't easy. I mean, I think I, you know, I had an idea of how vulnerable I was going to be. And then I had to get more vulnerable and then more vulnerable. And there were also other people to, I mean, especially my ex-husband 
you know, I worried about how he was going to feel about this. And I still love him. I mean, I still, I wouldn't say we're like friends, but we still have a connection and I didn't want to hurt him. And he was just the most gracious person on the face of the earth. Gabby, you know him. I do. (laughs) Actually, yeah, you met. And he was super gracious. He is a filmmaker and he understood the importance of, of people being able to tell their own stories. And he was like, listen, it's your story and you should you should tell it however you want it. But that was something that was really difficult and nerve wracking. Yeah. Did you show him like early chapters and make sure he was comfortable with what was in it? Or was it sort of like go with God? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I sort of offered and then he was like, I don't know if I want to read it. I don't know if I'm ready. And I actually have sent him the completed book in PDF form and he's only read the intro and mm-hmm. I respect that. He's like, I, he's like, I can't handle it at this moment, but he's like, I trust you basically. Yeah. And that was a really lovely gift, you know? And, and I think, I think I, I was fair to him in early drafts. My friends were actually like, I think you have to explain a little bit more why you broke up with him because he's, you're making him look too good because <laughs> he wasn't, he's not like the villain of the story. You know right. what I mean? So um, I did have to really explain myself. And that was actually super difficult because there wasn't, I mean, the bad sex of the title is one reason, but just the connection was off. And it's, it's hard to really explain that, especially somebody who's been so good to you and so loyal and so supportive to you. Um, It can still be a bad match. Mm Mm-hmm. Was the connection off primarily like in the bedroom and then having to realize that like that is a priority for you? Or did you feel that throughout your relationship? I mean, the connection was off in the bedroom and that made me realize that that was a priority for sure. But I think if everything else was perfect and that was the only problem, we probably could have worked it out. You know, like we probably could have had a more honest version of the open relationship that we had. I think if you have a really strong emotional intellectual connection and a weak sexual connection, that's like, you're doing okay. Like that's like, you know, the majority of your relationship is good. But I think also the other connections were weaker than I thought. It's just that the sexual connection being weak was sort of a gateway into me realizing this person is great, but it's, they're not the person that I'm that I want to be with. And Mm -hmm. this is not the life that I want to have. Yeah, it's tough. I've had situations where like the the op where I've like naively thought like, oh, we're still sleeping together and the sex is still good. So even though everything else is falling apart, like we're not breaking up. And then like (laughs) we were breaking up like there's like it's the it's this thing where like I think sometimes it goes away in people or or it's not working out in that aspect and people think like well we have this emotional connection so we don't need this other thing or they take the sex as like this is this is good so we don't need to like be compatible in any other way it's like yeah two sides to it that I think sometimes you can get blindsided either way because you're like well we have this well we have this Oh, yeah. I mean, the inverse can definitely happen. There is somebody in my book that essentially, I mean, for this is a very heterosexual term, but I felt very dickmatized by him. <laughs> I was, I was like, I was so sexually in, into him and fulfilled by him that I ignored a lot of other 
things that were mm-hmm. huge, huge red flags. And it just sort of shows, I mean, granted, I have to say that was like a rebound relationship and 99% of rebound relationships are just destined to fail because the person going through the breakup is still kind of in a tizzy. And that was certainly true for me. But I think beyond that, I was so, so, I was prioritizing sexual exploration and sexual fulfillment so, so much that I was ignoring all kinds of other things. Mm-hmm. Um, and ultimately I don't regret it because it was kind of a wonderful, heady experience, but it did cause me a huge amount of pain. How do we define rebound relationships? You know, <laughs> because it's interesting, like, you know, I, my partner and I got together like three months after my broken engagement. And so in some ways that's like, oh, a re- like, you know what I mean? And, and yeah, and I, I wasn't healed. I wasn't like completely over it, but like, I, I, so I, I, I'm wondering like how you would define rebound and, and, um, and saying that they, they mostly fail. For the record, I don't think John is a rebound, but if you look at like the way people think about it, yeah, right? it's my yeah. first relationship after like a major trauma. Yeah. It was pretty quickly afterwards. It's interesting. It's something I've definitely yeah. like thought about. And I, I, I've asked him if like he was worried about being that, you know, and he's so confident. He was like, no, not really. <laughs> <laughs> well, just for some perspective, I met this person a day after I moved out of our apartment. Um, it was wow. like, <laughs> I, I moved out of our apartment on Friday of Labor Day weekend. And by Saturday, at like 2 a.m., I was meeting up with this guy in like the depths of Brooklyn. Like, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. And also, I think rebounds are very clearly an, a reaction to mm-hmm, your relationship. Mm-hmm. You, they have to be seen in context of the relationship that you just left. And this person was somebody who I had really good sex with. And so I chased that. And also, I, I mean, I knew for, from the beginning that he was not a forever match, but I still wanted to pursue it because it was exactly what I needed after years of feeling sexually unfulfilled with my partner. So I do think that relationships that start shortly after a breakup can work, but in that manic stage of like the first few weeks when you really haven't even, I wasn't even totally like a hundred percent broken up with my mm-hmm. husband yet. Like we hadn't actually said the words of like, this is actually over. I think the premise was like, I need some space and like, let's talk in October. And then I was like immediately like on the apps and like having sex and mm-hmm. doing just acting, you know, very, messy, you know, as the kids say. So that's like what I'm talking about. I, <laughs> I, I met my current partner nine months after this relationship. And considering my marriage, the whole thing from start to finish was like more than eight years long. Nine months is pretty quick also, but I don't consider my current partner a rebound at all. Mm-hmm. I, I think what you said about it being in reaction to you know, like yeah. of like the going like the opposite way, like, you know, my ex and John have a lot of similarities, mm-hmm. but that made sense to me because I was like, I was happy in that relationship and I had, oh, you know, yeah. and so if I had gone and found someone that was the complete opposite, that would have just been in reaction instead of like true to what I was actually looking for. Now, hold on. John is blonde. Yeah, interesting. 
He is blonde. Yeah, he is blonde. <laughs> so physically different. Very yes. physically. They're very different. physically different. Yeah. yeah. Fair. <laughs> but they have a lot of the same interests. Like they, you know, like yeah. they're, you know, they're not like polar opposites to each other. But I don't think that would have that would have not been right for me because in a lot of ways I was close to what I was looking for in my last relationship, but not obviously not quite there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> So how do, I was wondering, like going through interviewing your mom's ex-boyfriends and stuff, were you did you find like similarities between you and her or like how did that make you feel? Um, I don't think that we conducted relationships all all that similarly. I think she was the heartbreaker in a lot of her relationships. She was the one who broke it off over and over again. It seems wow. she had a relationship in her well, she, first of all, she had a marriage when she was in her late teens, which was very typical of 1960. Yeah. And she broke it off with that guy. Then she had a relationship with this guy, Bob, who's in the book. And he was very in love with her and very devastated when she left. And then, and the person she left Bob for, she broke up with also. And so I think she was the one leaving broken hearts in her wake. And I think up until I broke up with my husband, I hadn't really been that person. I had always been the one who was suppressing stronger feelings than I was letting on. And I had a lot of sort of situationships and I was accepting less than I wanted. And then I stayed in this partnership for eight years. So I don't really, so there, in many ways, there's not too much symmetry with the way that my mom and I conducted relationships. But when I was trying to drum up the courage to break up with my husband, I found a lot of inspiration in her. Like I, I decided maybe I shouldn't, maybe I should break my MO in order to be happy and be a little bit more like my mom who obviously prioritized her desires over and over again, which is really admirable. Is it strange to see your mother as a sexual being or because of her work, had you always seen her that way? I mean, on a personal level, she was rather shy. I wouldn't say that she was this like sexual milf, you know, like it was very hard for me to think of her as a sexual being when she was alive and when I was a teen. But you look at younger pictures of her and, and some of them at this point, I've now been those ages. I see a picture of her when she was 27 and I see my 27-year-old self. And then I see a picture of her still looking super fly at like 38. And I'm now 38 and I'm like, oh, okay. Like I get it now. She doesn't seem like so old and like dorky to me. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah. And I mean, I still don't like thinking about like my parents having sex. Like that's gross to me, but like... But her as a sexual being is is normal. And she and she she I mean, she wasn't that explicit about her sex life in her writing, but she certainly made it clear that she was a sexual person and that that was extremely important to her and extremely important to her politics. Yeah. In what ways? Just that like the beginning of the second wave feminist movement for many women was being in these consciousness raising sessions where you could be really honest about your misgivings. And there were a lot of sessions devoted to sex. And I think that that was a real, what we talk about, you know, an aha moment or a click moment. And for her, those, that was a real click moment. I feel like she had grown up in the repressive fifties 
and had a lot of shame and guilt and repression around sex. And for her, this political moment, this germ of a political movement was also a supremely sexy moment for her. Um, And she felt really exhilarated. And despite the fact that the sexual revolution still had all kinds of double standards and it was really still in the through the male lens, at least until feminism took off, she still found a huge amount of of freedom through it. So I think it was really key to her politics. Pleasure was really key to her politics. I think she thought of the feminist movement as ultimately about pleasure and happiness, not just about, oh, we'll get the, all the rights that that men have, but also we will finally be able to pursue happiness on our own terms. And I think sex is a huge part of that. And in your research, how does that square with like today, 2022? I still think that pleasure should be a huge part of feminist politics. And it sometimes is and sometimes isn't. I think that now pleasure is often really depoliticized. It's kind of like currently in the category of like self-care and wellness, <laughs> you know, like I, I see a lot of like Instagram, like, oh God, stuff about orgasms. And it's very kind of like, it's depoliticized. And I don't think orgasms are always political, should always be politicized. But I still think that women and other people with other marginalized identities still are living in this world where straight men dictate the terms of sexuality. And so when those people are actively and consciously choosing something else, that is that isn't on some level a political act. So fulfilling your desires as somebody who, you know, is defying the default of culture, that's just automatically transgressive to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I've definitely been thinking more about the importance of prioritizing pleasure in your life and not just, you know, sexual pleasure, but all types of pleasure. And I think right now we're in a place where life is really hard mm-hmm. and bad things are happening all of the time. And, you know, even if maybe your personal situation is is going well, there's this sense of like, but should I even be happy when I know so many people are suffering and, and the climate is on the brink of collapse? And, and there's this sense of like, it almost feels like it is ignorance or selfish to indulge in pleasure with everything that is going on. But I think that we need to like reprioritize it and like so much of like your mental health and just like your ability to feel alive and grounded and, and, you know, is, is by tapping into joy and to, by finding these moments of pleasure and, and not feeling guilty for that, but instead like viewing that as something that keeps you going. Absolutely. I mean, I'm going to put on my historian hat and say that that's, (laughs) that that's always kind of been a concern on the left. Um, If you go back to the 1960s, where there were just this explosion of social movements that were dealing with very serious life and death issues, both feminism and civil rights movement and the anti-war movement, and they were in the counterculture, and they were all kind of bubbling up. A lot of people were saying, that pleasure was self-indulgent. There's so much other stuff going on in the world. How can you think about pleasure at a time like this? But I think my mother and her cohort were saying, I mean, there's a quote that I might slightly butcher, but there's a quote that's actually on my mom's headstone that says, 
it's the potential for happiness that is the radical thing. Wow. While the morality, yeah, while the morality of sacrifice is an age-old weapon of rulers. It's like sacrifice is not, has never sort of begat radical change. It's always wow. kind of been a tool of oppression. <laughs> and I think that still applies today. If you deny yourself happiness, it's not going to like make somebody else happy also. So the potential for happiness is still radical, I think. What does your relationship look like now that's so different? Different from my marriage or different from when it first started? From your (laughs) marriage? Because things are true. (laughs) Tell me everything. (laughs) Well, I mean, okay. First, I'll say how, how my relationship is so different from my marriage is, first of all, it was very sex forward from the beginning. I think we had an extremely intense sexual connection, which is something that I really deeply desired. And then an emotional and intellectual connection came from there rather than the other way around. And I wasn't looking for a relationship in the way that I was sort of looking for a relationship or I was looking for commitment when I met, when I met Aaron, my ex. I think that that's a really big difference of, I mean, it's not bad to, to want commitment. It's not bad to want a relationship. But I think in my particular case, I was just like, okay, great. Somebody wants to commit to me. Like I will contort myself into this relationship, even though I think from, from like an early, I mean, once the honeymoon period wore off, I really did know that it was not quite right. Um, so I did have early signs of knowing that it wasn't quite right. Whereas this was sort of the opposite. It was sort of just like, unexpected and something that didn't seem right on paper. I mean, this person is younger than me. He, he at the time was going to business school, which like really confounded me. I mean, it turns out he's like a democratic socialist, like everybody else, but, but I, (laughs) but he also was going to business school and he was like going to this church in Williamsburg also, even though he is a he was, he's half Jewish and was raised secular. And I was like, this Christian guy in business school who's six years younger than me, like what? But (laughs) it turns out he's incredibly, well, like I said, we had just a really wonderful sexual connection. But beyond that, he was just the most kind of fascinating, smart, emotional person that I just had a very strong connection with almost immediately when felt, we fell very deeply in love, sort of almost despite myself, I didn't really want a relationship at the time. So I think the premise of the whole relationship is really different than my husband. That said, you know, I was writing about the beginning of the relationship in the book, but we've been together for five years now. We have a baby. We went, we lived together. We went through the whole pandemic together. We went through a pregnancy together. All of that can like really fuck with your sexual connection. And I I still think for the record that we have a great one, but it's like, there was a lot of challenges of just like, how do you navigate all of these different changes when like, you know, you have this like, beautiful kind of whirlwind romance, but then like you have to stop as, as like my partner would say, he, he loves sort of like metaphors and analogies. He's like, you have to stop eventually looking at each other and eventually start walking forward side by side. Oh, I you're love gonna build that. A life. Yeah. Like if you're going to build a life rather than just like be consumed with each other forever, like you can't just like 
be inter be intertwined in bed forever. You have to kind of also, if you really want to have a life with someone, like figure out what that looks like too. So that's been a real challenge. I mean, I still love him. And of course we're doing it. We have a three month old baby who's currently crying. It's like making my heart hurt. Um, <laughs> but like, it just looks very different than, than, I mean, the priorities in my book are like not my priorities at the moment, frankly. I mean, I don't really recognize the person from that book, just like what I said in my book that I don't recognize the person from before the book started. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't recognize the person from 2015 or whatever. Does that feel like a betrayal to yourself or do you feel like you've just changed? No, it doesn't feel like a betrayal. I think one of the main um, discoveries in this book is that we will always be changing, especially yeah. when it comes to sex. It's it's really something you can't pin down. What you are turned on by three years ago might be completely repellent to you now, um, or you just really might not recognize that mind state. And that's cool. And that's okay. That's actually, that's actually a, a wonderful thing. And that's what makes sex so fascinating to me. It is ever-changing. We're going to take a quick break, but stick around. And we're back. As someone writing a book about marriage, do you guys talk about getting married? You know, we were going to actually get married for health insurance. I was going to have another health insurance marriage because of <laughs> mostly... Honestly, Yay. mostly because of my baby. Yeah. I mean, we were actually America. just... I know, right? Seriously, it's so <laughs> pathetic. It's so pathetic. Um, however, like three weeks before the baby was born, um, Dom, my partner, got laid off. And so I was like, well, I guess we don't have to get married now because I don't have to like be with you for the insurance. And he got Medicaid. And if we had gotten married, then he wouldn't have qualified for Medicaid. Oh, my so God. So it's a whole dance. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Jesus. So we might get married. <laughs> it's I know it's awful, but basically we we have had like private sort of like like a commitment together that has nothing to do with the state or like a piece of paper. So I am like committed to him for the long haul. It's so interesting. So many couples I've interviewed have been motivated by health insurance and legal reasons. Yeah. Versus, oh, hundred like, percent sanctity of marriage. <laughs> No, 100%. Yeah. yeah. I got engaged a week ago. And, I know. I saw that. <laughs> and like we talk endlessly about WGA health insurance. The Writers Guild, they have great health insurance. We can put Mal on my mm -hmm. health insurance. Like, why is mm -hmm. that the number one? <laughs> Seriously. Ugh. I know. I mean, I do think there's something really romantic I think that's actually sort of what marriage means to me. Like Dom's same analogy of like turning forward side by yeah. side and and walking into the world together like that's kind of what marriage or like co commitment real commitment means to me but like the wedding industrial complex is super weird to me and also i i do feel a little bit loath to get the state involved in my relationship but of course like i am going as soon as like he gets a a good job right. with good health insurance i'm gonna like marry him why not <laughs> <laughs> right. And, and we think of it as like Mal and I think of it as taking care of each other. Like if something happened to me, mm -hmm. you know, if I uh, if I get, you know, God forbid, get into some sort of accident like they, you know, we want to be able to like be the primary for each other. So that's yes. like a huge motivating factor. Yes. Yes. This has been so wonderful. And now I must ask, would you like to play a game show? Absolutely. What do you got for me? 
This game is called Hypotheticals. I'm going to give you and Gabby a series of hypothetical situations. You can ask any clarifying questions you might have, and then you tell me what you would do in that situation, and I pick my favorite answer. Okay. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So the first game is America's favorite game show. Would you stay with this cheater? You find out that your partner of seven years set up a Hinge account for their best friend who suffers from low confidence. Okay. This would all be fine, except your partner has control of the account and starts messaging multiple people, pretending to be their friend, and one of the conversations has turned sexual. (laughs) They think this is all okay because they are just setting their friend up for success and are handing over the reins soon. Would you stay with this cheater? I mean... If anybody's read my book, they know that I'm very skeptical of monogamy. And I think the terms of relationships need to be very clearly spelled out. I think that even the term cheater kind of sets off my spidey sense. I personally wouldn't care about that. No offense. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) as a non-monogamous person, I I would not. I just, uh, the level of lying is the only thing that I would be worried about. This is what I'm concerned about is that these people think that they're getting to know someone they're not actually getting to know. So I don't see how this helps my partner's best friend in any way because they're going to meet up with someone who's totally different. I mean, who might not even now they have to study what they said. What if they said they were into something sexually they're not actually into? What if like they had some sort of inside joke that now this person has to pretend and then those people get married. And then how long does my partner have to lie and say it wasn't them? This is very stressful. Yeah, I think that I think the issue is, is this helping out the friend? Not is this person cheating on me? I think like they got to work it out. It's not really. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's not. You can, <laughs> I agree. Also, you can set up the profile and then you got to let let them you got to let them handle it. And they and they can screw it up or do a good job on their own time. Yes, agree. So this is more loosey-goosey morals in general versus versus the sexual conversations they're having. I just think yeah. that's a bad that's a bad thing to do because you're not going to actually see if you're sexually compatible. Also, what a lazy friend. Like, you can't even do your own profile? Like, what's wrong with you? I think, yeah, I yeah. think we're missing the point here. <laughs> so we're leaving. Are we, We're out the door? No, I, I still don't think I would necessarily just be leaving, but I would definitely bust their balls about it. I'd be like... I'd like have sit them down with their friend and be like, you two are codependent and weird. Like what is going on? Yes. And like, and like you need to do your own. I don't know if we need to like give you some pep talks or like some things, some openers maybe, but you got to do this on your own. Yeah. 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 I think that sounds like a good solution. I would leave. <laughs> well, you got high okay. standards, Allison. Exactly. She really does. <laughs> it just everything about it is so yucky, and I just um, all the deception, and it's all just feels like not not for me. A hard pass. <laughs> Fair. Okay. Our next game. Are you a terrible parent? <laughs> you suspect that your child ten is copying their homework off of one of their classmates during playdates. So you sneak into their backpack to grab a worksheet. You then create your own worksheet that is nearly identical, except you add strange sentences to the instructions, including phrases like, horses like to eat their poop, and poop counts as a vegetable. You 
don't think this okay. worksheet is due at the end of the week. So you wait to see if they notice only to get a call from the teacher because they already turned it in. <laughs> you now have confirmation that they do cheat and you have to explain what happened to their confused teacher. Are you a terrible parent? Oh my God, that is psychotic. <laughs> I would retire as a parent and like just feel like a total idiot. I think meddling, maybe it's the kind of parents I had, but I think meddling to that extent or even like a shadow of that extent is just so dead wrong. You're a terrible parent. I think you're a terrible parent because I think you could have chosen something other than poop. <laughs> Why poop? I guess is my question. Why? Uh, because it's it's just historically funny to talk about poop in my professional opinion. Got it, it is funny. That I will concede. We used to think that one of our teachers didn't read our essays. So we would put stuff in the middle of the essays. But like it was never like that. It would always be like, and then Bugs Bunny was there. And we'd be like, is he going to notice? And he never did. Mm -hmm. So I think you're a good parent, but maybe choose something that isn't poop. That's baffling to me. Gabby. I'm just so anti-intervention when it comes to like, I would never as a parent read my kid's diary. I would never, never. like rifle through their never. things or like never. interfere with their work or anything. I, the only thing, I mean, if, unless they were having very serious, like mental health problems or like they were being abused or, or I, I could tell that something was deeply, deeply wrong. I like, I'm not going to interfere in their their like school lives or personal lives you know yeah I agree I know but I just think if you are gonna do it like don't say poop because then poop's like embarrassing like just make it yes. something innocuous the cookies are burned or something you know what I mean <laughs> yeah yeah I think the the easier thing could have just been hey can you do your homework in front of me you're right <laughs> you're right absolutely <laughs> I mean, yeah, cheating on your homework is unacceptable also. I wouldn't, I wouldn't just, I wouldn't go as far as to not interfere in any way. I just like wouldn't like take it upon myself in that way. To do an elaborate sneaky plot to No, it's not, them. it's just not my personality. I'm a straight shooter for better or for worse, you know? I'd be like, you're cheating. <laughs> <laughs> what if it's yeah. very stupid homework? I guess I would be tempted, but I would ultimately never do that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, our final game. Would you forgive this liar? You are moving to a new city where one of your friends from college works as a realtor. You ask them to find a house for you and handle all of the paperwork because you are very important and busy. They say they found the perfect house and you ask if there are any issues with it. They say no and you agree to buy it. When you move in, you quickly discover that the house is haunted by three British hairdressers. When you ask your friend if they had heard anything about the house being haunted, they confess they kept it from you, but didn't think it was that big of a deal because the ghosts have always been friendly and there is a lot of square footage. Would you forgive this liar? First of all, I... As... Um, someone who is constantly on Zillow for fun, I would absolutely never put any real estate tasks in anybody else's hands. So I feel like anything that comes after that is just kind of on you. But like, yeah, total liar. F that. That's what I Our think. realtor didn't tell us that someone died in this house. Yeah. yeah how do you feel about it? Uh, I feel fine about it. Uh, mostly and how'd you I, find out? The neighbors. <laughs> We, the night we moved in, we like went and hung out with some neighbors who were out front and they were like, 
oh, you moved into the the this X, Y, and Z house. And we were like, what? And I thought they were joking. Like, I was like, oh, that's what I would do. Like the first, you know what I mean? Like if someone was just moved in, I would do that prank. And then they were, then like multiple people were like, you shouldn't have told them that, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, okay, so this is a widespread prank that they're doing. But then the next day, the HVAC guy came and he was like, oh, the house where this oh, yeah. happened. And we were like, oh, no. So it is real. Yeah. I don't care about ghosts. We just stayed at a haunted hotel. And I and they were like, the this little woman sits at the edge of the bed. And I was like, I don't care. We'll fuck on the bed. Whatever. Yeah, but this is like you're having to interact with these ghosts all the time. They always want to. They're very chatty. Oh, that is annoying. Do they ever just want to like sit and watch TV or? Sometimes, but they like to talk during the episodes. Oh, forget it. <laughs> oh, it's over. I can't answer questions about The Sopranos. Yeah, I would just be kicking myself for, again, putting putting that very important decision in anyone else's hands. Like, what is what did I think was going to happen? So you were anticipating the lie, and therefore you blame yourself, not your friend. I blame myself, ultimately, yeah. That was a dumb idea. Also, pretty cool that all three were hairdressers, because maybe they can give you some cool tips. <laughs> yeah. What happened? How'd they die? It was... A hairdressing accident? Is that what you're about to say? A a blow dryer (laughs) fell in their group tub. They were in a group tub? (laughs) Yeah. They're polyamorous ghosts? That's a cool feature of the house is there is a huge tub that can fit three people. But a blow dryer could fall into it. This is kind of dark, but electrocution in a tub is like weirdly my biggest fear. So that would be terrifying to me. Yeah, like a toaster falling in there or something like that. Why would that happen? I don't know. I think it's from Groundhog Day. You know how like he tried to kill himself with like putting a toaster in the tub? You're like getting a glimpse into like my nightmares here. But yeah. Wow. (laughs) It's scary to me. Well, thank you so much for playing and for joining us. Where can people find out all about your book and everything that you do? So it's out August 9th. It's called Bad Sex, wherever books are sold. Although I would recommend ordering it through your local bookstore. But you could also get it from, you know, The Bad Place or Powell's or Bookshop or any of those places. And my website is The Other NWA. That is also (laughs) theothernwa.com. And my Instagram handle is also The Other NWA. And I'm Nona at Twitter. So any of those places will have links and portals to my work. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Oh, my God. You're (laughs) wonderful. We adore you here. Thank you. Stick around after the break. We'll be talking all about Gabby's engagement. baby usually melissa says baby but we're not joined by melissa today we're joined by my fiance mal blum oh i'm sorry i didn't know to say baby you don't have to (laughs) well it's obvious you don't listen to the podcast to give gabby privacy wow (laughs) it's intentional i try not to listen so that they don't feel self-conscious about what they're talking about (laughs) well melissa is not joining us today because She's not feeling well, um, but I mean, she's here behind the scenes. But um, this is such an exciting episode, <laughs> topic, time in our lives. Um, tell me everything. Let's 
to be honest, I called you right after and I got the details. But tell the audience everything. <laughs> First of all, I went to leave on this road trip and I said goodbye to Allison. And she said, can't wait to see your ring. And I was like, Mal's not proposing, you dummy. And then like she's like a canary in a coal mine called the whole thing. Canary uh, in a coal mine. What? <laughs> wow. What a metaphor. What a metaphor. Oh, wow. I only knew that because you had said that you had asked Mal if you were getting engaged on the road trip and Mal had said no. So then I was just goofing with you, but it turned out I was right. Okay, so Mal, start at the beginning from your perspective. Okay, so first we met. How much time do you have? (laughs) (laughs) I'm just kidding. Okay. Yeah, like how long have you known that this was your plan? Yeah, so uh, I mean, we we had talked about it before. But like we weren't on any particular timeline. And I think I'm somebody who's really ambivalent in terms of like, I really struggle with decision making. I don't know if we've talked about that, Allison. But like, for example, it took me like 10 years to decide to get top surgery kind of thing. And, you know, I'm like pretty famously a commitment phobe. So I was really like, oh, no, what if it's the wrong decision? What blah blah blah, and all this stuff. So I was really like thinking about it for a long time before I want to make sure before. And then as soon as. I proposed, I was like, this was 100% the right decision. Isn't that a beautiful thing? Sometimes yeah. you just got to leap. <laughs> Sometimes you got to leap. But yeah, we went on this road trip. I've been planning it for a while. Little things would come up and I'd be like, oh no, what if like Gabby almost got a job and then the road trip was almost canceled. And I was like, uh oh, but like, whatever. And then I was trying to pick a place on the road trip that would be good. So I was like kind of location scouting from afar. And then I just called an audible and went to a totally different place because that's who I am. You didn't know that that was going to be the spot till like an hour before. Yeah, I was looking at Merrimack Caverns. And also we were staying at this really nice hotel in Eureka Springs. That is a Melissa place that recommended. Melissa, Melissa recommended. But then like on the way to the hotel, I was like, wait a minute. We're driving past this whale that has this like love story that we've been to before. It like all sort of came together in my mind. And I was like, oh, no, no, no. this is this has to be it. This has to be it. So for like an hour, I'm driving. To, I'm like and I was like, Gabby, can we like and Gabby's like, we already saw it. And I was like, yeah, but don't you want to like visit him? And like, you know, and I had to kind of convince them, which I was like, oh, no. And then on the way the whole time, actually, Gabby was watching old JBU videos to make TikTok content, which like worked out great. <laughs> Worked out in my favor because I was like sweating and like hyperventilating and like, you know, and also I had to like get the tag and put it on beans without Gab realizing and, you know, like, I don't know. There was a there's a lot. Of explain what happened with beans tag. So I uh, I wrote, will you marry me on the tag? Uh, but actually, I had the one tag that I like had it, you know, done in one of those little tag machines. And then and I was the, like, and the, and the tag was a tuxedo. It was a little tuxedo. And then I was like, maybe it's too small. And also I should do this myself. So then I got like a little uh, beveler tool and I got a bigger tag and I wrote in case you didn't see the first tag. And then I wrote it again because I wanted to. So there were it. three tags. One was a big <laughs> tag that said, in case you don't see the first tag, which Mal en- engraved themselves with an arrow. Then I flipped that tag over and Mal had engraved themselves 
Will uh, G, will you marry me, M? Then it's like pointed to the other tag. Then I uh, looked and saw the tuxedo tag and I turned it over and it was engraved professionally, G, will you marry me, M? So what, what a little peek into Mal's brain is that they were like, the tag is too small. So I have to have two tags pointing to the other tag just yeah. in case Gabby misses it. Yeah. And Gabby, did you notice any of the tags? Zero. Notice none of them. <laughs> also, for like two weeks, I was like making this ring box because I was like, for some reason, I got it in my head that I was like, I have to make the ring box. I have to make it. They made it from scratch with wood and they painted oh it God. and they made the hinges. Yeah. So but it also coincided with like I was having a little bit of a depressive episode and I also was hyper fixating on this cat that we've been taking care of. So like Gabby and Drew and everybody was just like Mal's just outside with the cat all the time and like having a nervous breakdown. But really, I was also I was having a bit of a breakdown, but also I was working on the ring box. But like nobody knew that, you know. So after they proposed, Drew was like, oh, so they were outside working on the ring box. They weren't just sitting there silently petting the cat like we thought. Okay, we were worried about you, actually. (laughs) So basically, yeah, so the blue whale. So we had gone to see the blue whale. The blue whale of Oklahoma, of Catoosa, Oklahoma, is this whale that in the 1970s, it's this big concrete whale. And in the 1970s, this guy, Hugh Davis, built it for his wife, Zelta, who was obsessed with whales and who collected whale figurines. And so he built, he took years and built this huge whale. And it's really cute. And it's just like on this, you know, like lake area, what a pond. And and it was like, and it was a swimming hole. And he, he, they ran it together. um, And it was like this testament to their love that he had built for her. And then they passed away. And then it was like at risk for going into disrepair. But the city, the people of the town loved it so much that they fundraised and now they run it as a tourist attraction and they kept it going. You can't swim there, but they kept it going as like a they didn't want to let it, you know, die, basically. So it's this like romantic story between these two people and then also about this town coming together to like keep their love alive even after they've passed. So it's a beautiful romantic story. And Mal was like, we should go back and see the whale again. And I was like, we already saw it. And then Mal was like, and I'm fixated on every road trip. We have to go to different things. So I'm like, I don't want to see the same things. I want to see different things. And Mal is a nostalgic and sentimental person, so likes to see the same things. So I was like in my head being like, oh, great. So now we're going to be late to the hotel, the new hotel we're going to see, because Mal wants to go see the whale again. (laughs) And then... And then Mal was like, but isn't it nice because we were there last year. We looked so different. Now you're like on testosterone and we'll take new pictures at the whale that are more updated. And I was like, okay, like I could be talked into that. They're like, oh, pictures. So if you mentioned pictures. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Also later, Mal, you said that my willingness to be like, okay, fine, we'll go to the whale also made you feel like you wanted to propose to me because you were like, they don't even want to do it, but they'll do it for me. And like, that's how in like, that's really sweet. And that's so indicative of what Gabby's like. And like, that made you want to propose even more because I was like, fine, we'll go to the whale. It was just like, I was like, yeah, the compromise of like, you know, you're like, I don't see the point in this, but obviously you would like to go back. So let's go back, (laughs) whatever. And so then also Mal had convinced me prior to the road trip, Mal had said, we're going to make a lot of content for TikTok for the, from the road trip. So every day on the road trip, at the end of the day, we'll make a video and we'll we'll say what our favorite part of the day was and what we like most about each other. 
And that way we'll have these videos from the road trip. And I was like, oh my God, their Mal is so cheesy. Fine. So I was like, so every day we were making these videos where, and they committed, like we made them every day. And then on like day four, they were like, okay, so go set up, you know, it would be fun is if we do it with the whale in the background. Cause we've largely done it with like um, the hotel in the background. So they were like, that's going to get boring. So let's do it with the whale in the background. So go set up, they bought a gimbal, which is like a, a tripod for the camera. So they were like, go set up the, the tripod and I'll take beans to pee. And I was like, fine. So I set up the tripod. Then they go uh, further away. It's like too close to people. And I was like, oh, my God, fine. We're bothering us. <laughs> so I was like, so I go and I and I set it up. And Mal's meanwhile, like, I think taking beans to pee. But really, they're putting the tags on beans. Oh. Well, I and put then, them tags on him at the last rest stop, but I didn't want you to take him out of the thing and see them. So I was like, I'll get him. I'll get him. And then I was like, OK, Beans, it's go time. And then these people, Mal, like gets out of the car and I'm set up already waiting for them. And these people start talking to Mal, which Mal this has woman. one of those faces where people just start talking to them. Literally, Allison, like this was like people say that and I'm like sometimes I'm like okay well maybe I just don't shut it down but like I was doing everything in my power to shut this down and this woman was like oh well you know you you have to stop at like Will Rogers Memorial and I was like okay I gotta go and she's like really it's worth a shot you know Will Rogers he was a he was a a, a, a whatever yeah radio guy she started like talking I was like I don't care about Will Rogers I gotta go man you should have been like I gotta propose lady leave me alone i almost said it but then i was like oh i was afraid gab would hear or then the lady would be like oh my god and start talking to me more you know strangers talk to mal so much to the point that we were in roswell and we stopped at a mcdonald's because the mcdonald's in roswell is like alien themed so we were like we got to see that so we like rent and i opened the car door to throw away old food that we had in the car and while the car door was open a woman drove up opened her car door and started talking to Mal through the car door. She said, I want to talk to you. And was like, what? And like she just started chatting with Mal. Was like, I want to talk to you. She I was, was like, I want to talk about what? She said, I want to talk to you. You have New York plates. Like where, you know, where did you come from? Where are you going on your road trip? I've always wanted to go on a road trip. Me and my mom and my, I don't know. People just like, like talk to me. I was gone for five seconds to run to throw something away and a woman parked her car next to Mal and started talking to them like this is Mal's whole life. You can't leave me alone. That's so wild. So I did people react when did people see the proposal at the whale? OK, so here's what happened with the people. OK, and I want to say the so the reason for the the travel vlog ruse is because Gab is was very specific that they didn't want like a public like bunch of people I didn't want public yeah like they're they're like I'm not I'm not the type of person who would ever want like my family waiting as a surprise or like you know a jumbotron you, a jumbotron or, like or a skywriter or whatever so I was like would it want a jumbotron that's really strange no I was like private it has to be private but I also was like they're gonna want video or photos of this I know that they will. So how do I do that without having like somebody hide in the bushes? Right. right. So that's how I came up with the ruse. It's brilliant. Thank you. And then when we got out and the lady started talking to me, I was like, leave me alone, leave me alone, whatever. Then we started doing the thing. No one was there. And then these two people like walked up and they started kind of being like looky loose. And I was like, so oh, we filmed it once. And then Mal said, you know what? I don't like all these people in the background. Let's film it again from far away. And we so filmed, we moved we and filmed it to. again. And I was like, oh, my God, we have to start over. Like, I was like, this is so annoying. 
I just have to, I want to get to that haunted hotel. See, that's interesting <laughs> to me because on the outside, it was like, the, I was like, oh, we started to talk. And I was like, what if we just moved to that picnic table? Because like, you know, I don't want anyone around us. And you're like, okay. And like, that's what the external was. In my mind, I was like, haunted hotel, haunted hotel. Want to get to the haunted hotel. Also, like two days before we were driving and Mal started hysterically crying. And I was like, what's going on? And Mal was like, it's just like hard to like love someone so much and like was to being really sweet. And I was like, oh, honey, whatever. And then they were like, that didn't like give you a clue that I was like gearing up to propose. And I was like, no, I was just like, it's a Tuesday. Mal's emotional. Like, yeah, <laughs> that's what they're like all the time. Yeah, I was having a meltdown because I was like, it's really scary to like, you know, merge your life with somebody else. And like that, you know, it's just like so vulnerable and like anything bad could happen at any time. And like, you know, like. And it's I was just, like, yeah. Yeah. God bless like, literal Gabby. What a supportive partner you found in Gabby. Yeah, I was like, yeah, babe, it is hard. Anyway, like, where are we going to have dinner? And Matt was like, the vibe. thank God for you. Like, that's the vibe. Some Well, sometimes it's like, you know, whatever. But then sometimes it's like, you know, I, I'm my own worst enemy and I do need somebody to be right. like, stop it. You know, <laughs> I'm not feeding this anxiety right. or they'll like have this anxiety where they'll be like, what if we break up in nine years? And I'll be like, did you eat lunch today? Like, are you are you, are you hungry? Like, so, yeah. So then uh, they got on one knee and they proposed or then they said, look at Beans's collar. I looked at Beans's collar. Then Mal started crying. Then they immediately, immediately got to on one knee and then said, I probably should have looked up where this came from. It's probably problematic. I don't know where I am kneeling. And I was like, incredible. And then said a bunch of really nice stuff, which honestly, not making content wise, but we were talking about this last night where I'm glad I didn't, I was like iffy on filming, but I'm glad that they filmed it because I blacked out. Yeah. Like I have, I don't know mm -hmm. what Mal said. I don't know what I said. I don't know. So it's actually nice that we have the video. It's 12 minutes long. We've watched it, both of us, a couple times because it's like, oh, like I don't even remember. Like I, and you also like, you ask the dumbest questions because you're, you're black. You're just like, so, so I was like, just, but what about Steffi's baby? And like Mal's sister is having a baby, like it was having a baby like three days later. And I was like, what about the, both the baby be jealous? Like who, what? Or like being like, who knows you asked about if the baby, the we unborn baby would be jealous that of we your were, engagement? That we were no. stepping on the baby's arrival. Or like oh. who know who knows about this or whatever. And then like the baby you know, is like, like very jealous, actually. It's yeah, actually nice. she's <laughs> been a real bitch about it. Um hey. and uh Hey, that's my niece. Sorry. <laughs> sorry. Uh no, she's actually very well behaved and like very quiet. But she's a newborn. Yeah, She's a newborn, but she's not like she's just very chill. Um, so then Mal was like, the ring is my grandmother's. And then they, they showed me they had made the box. And then like all of it just made me really emotional. And then uh, they told me I said in the beginning, I think, but they told me that they asked their grandpa to use the ring. And then I was like, Marty knows about it. Yeah. And then it was we like, you know, I, I don't even we had to watch the video back. I like blacked out. I don't even know. We were kissing. We were like. This is crazy. I know. I know what I said. You know what you said? What'd you say? <laughs> well, I know don't some... say all of it because it's secret. Some of it's secret. Okay. I don't have to say. Ooh. Gab wanted to keep the actual stuff that was said, like, you know, off the internet. Yeah. So even the video that we've posted, we've we've not 
you know, said the words or whatever. Yeah, I mean, when I got engaged, which worked out so well, <laughs> the, I, neither of us remembered what was said during the actual proposal. Right, you just it is like out. this weird thing. Where yeah. like, we were like, what, what did you say? What did I say? Like, we don't remember. It's nice. It's cute on video because Mal goes, I, wait, I forgot about this. We like saw in the video, Mal, right, Mal goes, you're really going to marry me? And I, oh. I know. Oh, and then we FaceTimed our families. And yeah, so Mal, had you told anyone that you were doing this or that it was coming up or anything? Yes, a couple people. It was hard because, well, because Gab was like, Gab had specifically told me not to, if I was ever going to propose, not to get their parents' blessing because they think it's like a dumb practice. Which Patriarchal. I, I agree. But I was like, who would they want me to check in with? And I, I was like, Cheyenne, I guess. So Mal checked in with my sister. And I now I noticed they went, Mal was like, I need to talk to you privately. And they like went and talked privately. And I was like, what Cheyenne, is this about? Can I, can I be honest? I love her. She was the worst person to tell. Because literally I texted her and I was like, hey, when you're at the house, can I talk to you privately? In front of Gabby, she's like, so you want to talk to me privately? And I was like, can you? And then I had to lie and be like, yeah, I was about psychiatrists. Uh, yeah, you and, told me, I, I believed you. You said, oh, I just wanted to ask her if about, um, like, for recommendations about her psychiatrist and some, like, private stuff about ADHD. And I was like, of course. Literally, I and, and like, every, I will say every person I told had the most them reaction. So Cheyenne was like, I was like, so I want to talk to you about, like, how do you, you know, feel about this? I'm thinking about doing this thing. Um, you know, like, do you have any thoughts, feelings, whatever? And she was like, I mean, you guys are already basically married. And I was like, okay. And she was like, and then she said, so I forget what it was, but it was something like, what do I get to wear to the wedding? Or like, oh, does that mean I get to plan a bachelorette? Party? Like it was something that was like immediately like, about immediate, her. Immediately onto the next thing. And I was like, okay, yeah, whatever. But it was nice. I checked in with our couples therapist. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, Mal met with our couples therapist privately. I did. And what did you tell me you were doing? You lied. Oh, you told me you were having a Zoom meeting. But we told Gabby that I was going to meet with her one on one, but Gabby didn't. Mm. And God bless you. You were just like, OK, like you were like not interested in the reasons for that. Whatever. Like, <laughs> just I'm very <laughs> trusting. Like you were like, I, I wanted to talk to Cheyenne about psychiatry and meds and ADHD privately. And I was <sighs> like, of course, honey, that's that's totally fine. Like, I trust you. You were like, I'm going to have my own session with our couples therapist. I was like. Great. I think well, that's she a really good idea. said it in front of us and was like, if yeah. either of you like wants to talk, you know, privately at any point, if are, mm -hmm. are you both comfortable with that? And like, we were like, yeah, yeah. And I was like, sure, I would do. So she brought it up. So it was less suspicious. And then I, uh, I'm trying to think who I told on my side. Steffi. Um, well, my family. Yeah, my family knew because I had to get the ring. Oh, right. I feel like I told some random people by accident. Keely knew. She was house sitting for us and I was and I was like, you want to see want to see what I did, whatever, which I kind of felt bad because she just went through a breakup. And then so like it was this ADD thing where I was like, look, and then I was like, wait, was that inappropriate? I'm so sorry. And she was like, no, I, I love it. And I was like. <laughs> um, And then Drew, you told Drew. Told Drew because she's like good friends with both of us. And I, it's not that I was polling people, but I was like, uh, who should I check in with? And. Also, Drew had the most Drew reaction where she was like, I love this. I, you know, you guys are basically like, like buying a house is way more serious than getting married. Like, you know, you and you guys are such a great couple. And also, like, how have things been lately? Like, <laughs> 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 like 
like the most Capricorn. Like, I, I think, yeah, it's, you don't need my blessing. It's a good idea. But like, do you think it's a good idea? And I was like, oh, my God. Yeah. Now we have to like we're talking about like, do we get a wedding planner? What do we do? You know, it's also been. Do you have a timeline? I think like next of fall. Of when you want to get married? Next fall. Next fall. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if it's a sore subject, but, you know, do you have any tips? <laughs> Stay together. <laughs> this is my biggest tip. But I don't know. That worked out good for you. <laughs> That's true. No, I have many thoughts, lots of feelings. Love to off, you know, off my talk to you all about the wedding planning Great. process, Great. options, you know, different. I think my biggest thing is that you can do whatever you want. Um, you might feel trapped into a lot of like traditional choices, but you really don't need to. Mm-hmm. COVID has like really changed, I think, people's expectations for weddings in a really cool way. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I've, I have tons of thoughts, tons of things to discuss. <laughs> yeah. I really liked your TikTok. Oh, yeah. Your TikTok about <laughs> us being because we used to joke about that, that like I was going to get married first, even though I'm like ambivalent about it. And then your TikTok was so funny and so unhinged. If anyone wants to go check out Just Between Us so Pod funny. on TikTok. So funny. Uh, it's very funny. <laughs> Yeah, but as as multiple people pointed out, I was engaged. You were. Absolutely. (laughs) So that's a huge win for me. (laughs) Let me tell you a secret about Gab, which is I think that they they've got they've got a persona and it's a very good edgy persona. But inside that persona, they have all these squishy little feelings, not as many as like, you know, me, but like, you know, they've got them and and they they wanted to get engaged and have wanted to for a few years, though they probably won't admit it on mic, but they have. I would say things like like Mal would try to ask stuff or be like, oh, whatever. And I'd be like, that's so interesting of you to plan so far in the future when my hand is so naked. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's such bullshit that you would then act like, yeah, whatever. Who can't? You were jonesing for it. It's it, like, yeah, It's a bit. It's a bit. Yeah, yeah, I know. Well, this is the ring for anyone wondering. That hand isn't bare anymore, baby. No. It's adorned. (laughs) So there's there's story. There's a story about the ring. Did you hear the story about the ring? What is it about that? It was your grandma's ring. Well, yeah. Well, she had passed and I was like, you know, it was the first time I was like looking at her jewelry. So I was like, look at all this jewelry. Like, don't isn't it cool? Like isn't aren't these ones cool and then gab told me which ones they like um but also it's a little here's a little tidbit for you my other grandmother died oh i'm so glad i mentioned this up top briefly i'm so glad we're gonna get into this tea yes okay what did your other grandma do my other grandma so this all my grandparents like except for my step grandfather all my remaining grandparents died during covid which sucks but so grandma terry died Right at the beginning of COVID. So and I then, never met Grandma Terry. Which is a shame because she really would have liked you. And then Nan, Evelyn. And I met Nan a bunch of times. <laughs> you did? And then she died. Yeah, I met Nan. Nan like knew. Nan, this is what's fucked up is that Nan like knew my things about me, was nice to me, asked about my family, whatever. Anyway. Okay. So Nan died. She had her engagement ring and she bequeathed it to my. 17 year old cousin the one boy in the family presumably because he is the next uh like 
single male. male in her eyes that would be getting married, you know? So he doesn't which, have a girlfriend. He doesn't even have a girlfriend. He's 17. Well, he's 17 he's, years old. He's right. going into the military, like whatever. Uh, anyway, I didn't want it. And like, to be frank, like they didn't have a very happy marriage. Like, sorry to spill the family tea, but like, that's like very, you know, what, like it, it, they had a, a good marriage, but, but it was kind of weird. I knew that I was going to propose soon. And like, so when they were like, oh, well, Max got the engagement ring. I was like, uh, all right, whatever. But then I knew that that one of Grandma Terry's rings would suit you better fit, anyway. Fit what I asked for, which is a dark stone. So she had, I loved her style. I really did. Yeah. So whatever. Yeah. Go, go. <laughs> Team Grandma Terry. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. Well, you know, everybody had their has their. Pros and cons. Pros and cons. Yeah. Well, I'm so happy for both of you. And please consider me when hiring your wedding planner. Yeah, Are you okay. working as a, as a wedding planner? <laughs> sure, why not? <laughs> Melissa, Melissa is an ordained minister. I know. Together, the JBU pod will get you two married. You were like, I'm so excited to become a wedding podcast. And I was like, dear Lord. Oh, yeah, baby. I love it. <laughs> Melissa, can you do can you do like rabbinical stuff? <laughs> I've never actually married anyone, but I can figure it out. <laughs> How hard could it be? Right. No. Melissa's like reading phonetically, like Baruch Ata Adonai. Hey, they spill they spell it out for me. Yeah, exactly. Oh, Allison. Allison can do Hebrew stuff. Oh yeah, baby. I could marry you. That'd be really fun for just me. <laughs> Just doing bits, Allison. just doing bits Allison. the whole time. You know, Allison's like, do you take, do you take Mal? And you're like, yeah. And Allison's like, oh, that's rich. Yeah. <laughs> I'm crying. And Leave a comment if you want me to marry Gabby and Mal. That's just like, Mal. that's like the perfect finale of the sitcom. Like that's like, you know what I mean? Like that's the series finale. Well, that's how you know it's a comedy and not a tragedy. Exactly. Exactly. We end at a wedding and not a funeral. Good Lord. Well, thank we you so end. much for joining us, Mal. Thank you for having me. And thank you to our guest, Nona willis Aronowitz. Just Between Us is a Forever Dog production. Hosted by me, Allison Raskin. And me, Gabby Dunn. Produced by Melissa Diamond-Montz. Edited by Coco Lorenz. Executive produced by Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, Alex Ramsey, and Tracy Soren. Brendan Burns composed our killer theme music. To listen to this podcast ad-free, sign up for Forever Dog Plus at foreverdogpodcast.com slash plus. Check out video clips of our podcast on YouTube at youtube.com slash team or youtube.com slash show. Guess what? Full episodes are available. If you want to see the entire video of every episode, go to youtube.com slash us. Make sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Forever Dog Team to keep up with all the latest Forever Dog news. Also, at Gabby Road, at Allison Raskin, at She Is Not Melissa on Instagram. Also, patreon.com slash emotional support lady and patreon.com slash Gabby Dunn. You can also follow JBU at JBU Podcast and on TikTok where we're killing it at Just Between Us Pod. You don't want to miss it. Forever. Dog. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. 
And right now you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during Movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.